thanks for tuning in to the Durban Memorial Baptist Church podcast. We're a group of sinners saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and here you will hear the Word of God. This time I'd like to ask our our guest, Brother Judson Hatcher, to come and join us and to uh, share with what is going on in Brazil, the awesome things he's been a part of. And I just want to praise the Lord really quickly. I don't know how much everybody knows about Judson's uh, past, but brother, you recently went through quite a a battle. Uh, And it's my understanding that you've come out cancer free. Yep, absolutely. So let's just praise God for a second and thank Judson for being here. Well, I'm delighted to be here again with you this morning. I uh, The first time that I stepped into this building was back in 2010, I believe. So I've known of this church. I've known of you for many, many years, and I'm very grateful to you and uh, grateful also for the support. Uh, that you guys provide for us financially and your prayer support, so I'm, I am especially grateful. Uh, I know that some teams have been uh, to Brazil to visit us, and of course, AJ and Barbara Hensley as well, and uh, which is also supported by this church, and uh, love them absolutely. I've known them for a long, long time. And yesterday, I had the privilege of meeting your pastor personally, and so Pastor Brad Cassidy and A.R., they uh, asked us to join them at Carabas, and I thought this was kind of an interesting choice because that's my mother's favorite restaurant. And I thought he may he may have spoken to my mother and maybe gotten a hint. Uh, but uh, and here's also something else that's interesting: is uh, today, of course, we're celebrating Father's Day, and uh, it's a special event for for us as as a country to celebrate our fathers. And today, I uniquely have with us my father and my mother. And uh, so I'd ask them to stand up real quick just so you can see them. This is Paul Hatcher and Wanda Hatcher. And uh, so let me give you a little bit of family history. So my grandfather, John Hatcher, and his wife, Alta, uh, were from Kentucky, were from this area. Actually, the Corbin, the whole Alexandria, Kentucky area, this kind of the context. But after World War II, uh, they went to Brazil back in the early 50s. My father was uh, barely born. Uh, I guess you were probably about three years old. Is that right? Four, three, three years old. And uh, of course, later uh, married my mother and uh, in the early 70s, went to Brazil. Oh, we need to work on the microphone there, great. I'll make sure to speak into the microphone. And, um, and then at that point, of course, I was eventually born uh, in the late 70s. I'm 45 years old uh, this year. And, um, and here's also something else that's interesting, is the Logans have been uh, friends to my parents for many, many years. And one of the times that we were on furlough, of course, my parents were also missionaries in Brazil. So I'm actually third generation of Hatcher in Brazil doing ministry. And I remember one of the uh, furloughs, we were in Lexington maybe for about a month or two. And can you guess who my kindergarten teacher was 
at the local Christian school. Yes, she's sitting right back there, right beside my mother. Uh, that's Judy Logan. And uh, I have a very vivid memory because uh, at that point, I mostly spoke Portuguese. And uh, so my English wasn't quite there yet, as was my Portuguese. And, and, but what I remember vividly is that there was one day that our class, instructed by our marvelous teacher, of course, Judy Logan, she taught us how to make chocolate pudding. And you know what that means for a little kindergarten kid? You know, stir the little chocolate, you know, and get everything mixed up in the bowl, and, and you're learning this process. And, and uh, so I have, I have great memories, uh, not just from that particular moment with the Logans, but uh, also in other occasions that we've had with them. And of course, I've met other men and women from this church as well, and uh, so we're delighted. Now, I'd also like to introduce to you my family, and I'll show you a picture of them here. Uh, I guess I don't have it right on cue just yet, but uh, let's go back to that map of Brazil and I'll, I'll. So my wife is back there. Raquel, go ahead and take a stand. This is my wife, Raquel. I met her whenever I was 14 years old. So we've known each other for a long time. And then our oldest daughter is currently in Manaus, which is in the middle of the Amazon basin. She's there on a mission trip for two months. Our second oldest is Laura. Go ahead and stand, Laura. And she is 15, to turn 16 here shortly. Benjamin is 14, and uh, he is an avid, um, uh, avidly goes to the gym to work out. Uh, the last time that we were with the Logans, uh, Ron Logan gave my son some advice and tip tips on how to work out at the gym, and you know some different things, and that was good. And then Melissa, our youngest is 10 years old. Melissa, you can stand. She's a little bit shy. She may not want to stand. It's fine. Uh, but you'll get a chance to engage with them. So uh, Brazil is geographically larger than the U.S. That is, if you take out Alaska. So Brazil is a country of 216 million people. We can just go back to that same image of Brazil. So I was born in the city of Manaus, which is right here. The Amazon River flows in this through this section here it comes out to the ocean right here in the city of Berlin and I, this is the city where I was born and uh, my wife Raquel is also from Brazil she was actually born in the city of Sao Paulo and uh, so for many years I served alongside my father uh, and so back in 2015-16 we moved from Manaus to Sao Paulo and there we've, uh, we've been a part of church planting, training people, and, and we've been involved in five different uh, localities and, and doing church planting and church ministry. And, uh, but historically, we, there are churches that have been started throughout Brazil th through my grandfather, through dad, and, and now through myself. And, and these are the five main regions there that you uh, see. The next picture that I'm just going to breeze through these pictures real quick because I want to dive into God's Word. So I'll uh, go ahead and click over. So these, this is uh, actually a, uh, an English gathering. So all services were in English in this particular occasion. The next picture is of a Hispanic-speaking uh, church. And uh, so we had people from Mexico, from Peru, from uh, Bolivia, from Argentina, uh, from Venezuela. So, and this is at our home uh, where these pictures are taken. The next picture that you'll see is, uh, this is kind of a unique situation, but a church replant. 
basically this church was, they were closing the doors. After 47 years, an American missionary had been there. Uh, they had dwindled down so bad, been without a pastor for 11 years, and they were gonna sell the building and, and donate the proceeds. And uh, so I was able to assist them uh, and one of the men that I trained, and even Dad was uh, heavily involved with his training as well, uh, came to uh, serve alongside of us there, and he's currently their senior pastor, and they're thriving. Uh, even in the middle of COVID, they've been seeing a lot of new converts. The next picture is, uh, you'll see here, this is uh, uh, Pastor Elvin, his wife Hanath, and their two sons, and this is the internal side there, this is the great uh, just a great ministry that he's been able to really uh, continue do, doing the work there. The next picture is um, uh, same same group of people there. Let's let's go to the next one. And here, this is uh, a church work that we were doing in the middle of a favela, basically a ghetto. You can see uh, this is the living condition. These are houses that you see here, uh, and the majority of this trash is actually trash that they have thrown in to the water themselves. I was in a, visiting a family once, and the mother was in the kitchen, and she said, hey, she called out the, the, her son's name, said, hey, I want you to take care of the trash. So he go, goes into the kitchen, pulls out the trash bag out of, out of the bin, and ties it up, opens the window, and just ditches it out the window into this place. And, and then I thought, no wonder you guys have so much flooding here. So what happens is, with all that trash, it clogs everything up, and whenever it rains hard, everything gets flooded, and they have some real crisis. Uh, the biggest challenge that we've had here is that um, uh, because of this extreme poverty and just a critical situation, uh, oftentimes uh, the parents are too high or too drunk to come out to our gatherings, so we mostly end up working with kids. I mean, and see this little child here that I'm holding? I mean, parents are just more than willing for you to take them off their hands. And uh, of course, we're more than happy to have them, of course. And, uh, but one of the very first homes that we visited, and you see this hallway here, this is an entryway to a house. And as you go, there's some more doors in through here. The very first family that I visited, uh, their house was any bigger than this, about the same size as this square here. There was one bed, there were six kids and seven cats. And the door was the only air entryway, so it actually served as a window. And uh, I often went to visit them there. There were uh, quite a few times where I wasn't even able to get in because pans were flying. And I don't mean that just, I mean, it was, they literally were flying. And uh, so, uh, you know, that's just kind of the scenario. But the Lord provided to, allowed us to work with a lot of children. And, and the next picture shows you uh, some of the images of this work. You can go ahead and flip it over to the next one. There we go. And uh, working with ministry and, and uh, pointing kids to Jesus and talking about death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have for the future as a result of his uh, payment of our sin on the cross. And that's uh, a crucial, crucial aspect of doing church ministry. And then the next ministry, this is uh, a meeting in homes. We've done a lot, I mean, uh, the bulk of our work really happens in homes. It really is centered around a living room, a table, 
uh, talking and, and just great conversations. And, um, uh, and then the next image that I want to show you, let's go ahead and move on to the next one. There we go. And then this is the, the group of people there. Imagine is the last, very last Sunday that we uh, were there in town. We, we were actually uh, using this building. There's an American church that meets there in Sao Paulo City. And we were, they don't use it on Sunday nights. So we were using it there on Sunday nights. Uh, COVID hit. And so we had to, to hold off on that. But this was the, the building that we were uh, allowed to use. But the very last Sunday that we were in town, uh, we had some baptisms, including our daughter. Melissa was baptized that evening. And uh, uh, I mean, we've just done so much around the table and food and just engaging with people where they're at. Uh, and then the next image, let's see where we are. Raquel's been involved with foster care. And we had a chance to talk with the Pierce's yesterday about foster care and, and just also their involvement here in town in regards to foster care that's been uh, critical uh, for the lives of many orphans, foster families. And so uh, Raquel's been uh, engaged in that. She's actually picking up a, uh, a, a baby there at the hospital uh, by court appointment. She was one of the only people that could go in to pick up the child, take him into the new foster care family. And foster care is kind of a new concept in Brazil. And so still being kind of introduced and uh, Raquel's been one of those proponents of foster care in the city of Sao Paulo. The next, I believe that's the last image and maybe it rolls over into, uh, oh yes, of course, the memorial in Brazil, of course, uh, you'll recognize some of these guys here. Uh, of course, you know who this man is, right? I'll try to keep him awake during, our, during the message as well. And uh, uh, Brother Ron Logan is there in the back. And uh, whenever I first met um, uh, Charlie Davis, I uh, said, you know, you can just call me Judd. Uh, my full name is actually Judson. And as I was explaining to the group of men who were there that day, I said, uh, I normally go by Judd because if I just say Judson, people will tend to call me Justin. And they'll think, oh, like Justin Bieber. And uh, so I said, no, not like the Biebs. Uh, but uh, so now, because of that story, uh, uh, Charlie always sees me and says, hey, Justin, how are you doing? So kind of an instigating. Of course, you know the man. He loves to instigate. And uh, just a joy to be around and certainly blessed. And of course, uh, we've been blessed by them. Of course, Russell Zick, who at the time uh, was the, the pastor, uh, has been in Brazil. And this is us, uh, of course, A.J. Hensley, who does the seminary training. Uh, at the time, invited Zick to come down and lecture. And this is me translating for him that particular week that he was there in town. And here we move on to uh, our text today. So I want to hone in on Christ's work and what is the missiological strategy that Jesus did while he was here on earth. And I want to hone in specifically on the story of, of Zacchaeus. And it's a story that you're very familiar with, I'm sure. Um, but... Um, as we look into the life of Christ, we notice that he engaged with people. And uh, I want to tell you of one such engagement that I had a few years ago. Uh, it was a Saturday afternoon, and my hair was just, it was just, it had grown too long. And at this point, we were living in Manaus up north. Manaus, it's in the middle of the Amazon basin, so it's hot year-round. It's muggy, and my hair was long, and I was just having a 
dreadful day because of all the heat and I was we were going to have a, a service that Saturday evening and I just wanted to get my hair cut desperately but all the places were closed so this was like 5 30 in the afternoon you know almost evening time and and um, so I I walk out of my home and I turn right well in that direction this is also the direction that I would often go walking to church so our uh, our building was turn the corner and you were immediately there but that corner was also the place where there was two things happened at that corner uh, drugs were, were sold at that corner and it was also known uh, in the evenings as being a homosexual prostitution corner and I always made it a point to walk that stretch so that I could engage and talk to them and 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 these were people that I've, I've known a lot of them since I was a young boy because I grew up in that same neighborhood because of the church being there, the church where my father was a pastor at. And um, so I would often walk past that, that corner. And so I'm, I'm walking past that corner and I'm looking for a barber shop and I, I keep on walking and, and I go to the first place, they're closed. I, go to, I keep on walking around the block and that, the second place is closed and I keep on walking around the block and the third place is closed. And then I finally ask them, hey, do you know of a place that is open. They say, oh yeah, just around the corner. And just around the corner at this point, I've already walked around the full block. I'm actually close back on the same street where my house is located, except I'm right at the corner. And let's go back to a, an image. So I, I'm walking in to see where the green door is here. I walk in, and as soon as I walk in, I realize this is the barbershop for the ringleader for the homosexual corner a guy who I've interacted with, and he's, I mean, he's a full-on cross-dresser, uh, bleached blonde hair, long hair, and, uh, and he knows me. I've, I've spoken to him before, and I didn't realize that this was his barbershop. So I walk in, you know, he's cutting somebody's hand, uh, come, not, not somebody's hand, cutting somebody's hair, and uh, so I walk in, I, and, and this rush of thoughts go through my mind, you know, it's, what, what if somebody sees me, I, as, you know, walking into, what, what are they going to think, you know? And, uh, but I decided to go ahead and, and sit down, and, and in these places, they always have magazines that you can read, you know, they're usually 10 years old, so I'm reading the current news from 10 years ago, and, uh, and he's, you know, cutting the, the guy's hair, and in walks in this guy's boyfriend, and he also knows who I am, and they like to, you know, to provoke, so they come and greet each other right in front of me. I mean, right in front of me. And they're going to town, quite graphically, might I say. And they're really attempting to provoke a response out of me. And I'm just, you know, flipping through my news from 10 years ago, and I uh, kept my cool. And, I mean, they went at it for a hard, long time. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, he's getting ready to touch my hair. And, uh, but I stayed there, and uh, whenever it came my turn to sit down at the chair, I sat down. We had a very a great conversation, and uh, I got a great haircut. I paid him. I tipped him, and I did my thing for the rest of the evening. A week later, uh, there was a visitation team that was inviting the community out for a church service. And they knock on this guy's door. 
And this is the response they got. They, this is them telling me later. They said, oh, is, is this the church where that, that American pastor that lives right over there at that house, and, and he goes to that church right over there, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's the one. Well, tell him that I'm going. And so they told me that he was coming, so I expected him. This is a Sunday night evening service, and Sunday night in Brazil is what Sunday morning is to America, Sunday night is to Brazil for uh, Evangelical Christian Church. And so, you know, he's coming to the big Sunday gathering at the church. And so I'm expecting him to walk in. So as soon as he walks in, I embrace him. I, I talk to him. I said, hey, why don't you come sit here with some other people that I want you to introduce? And I, I introduced him to a whole bunch of people. And he, uh, and we talked for a good bit. And then at, at the end of the service, he, he talked some more. And, and uh, I mean, we, we just kept on talking, uh, even moments after that. And um, about two weeks later, I'm walking home from work, from the church building, and I'm going around the corner to my house, and I notice that there's, this is about 9.30, 10 p.m. at night, and there's a new kid at the corner at where the homosexual prostitution happens, and he whistles at me. And this blonde guy the ringleader, he stands up and scolds him. Says, hey, you don't whistle at him. That's my pastor. And at that very moment, I thought, what would have happened had I gotten up and left whenever they were attempting to provoke me to walk out? What if, what if had, I, had I not even entered the doorway. What if I had just left? What opportunity would I have lost? And he never did come to Christ. Um, and I heard some time later that he was actually assassinated. Um, but uh, what a testimony. I think that rung deep in my soul that what, what would have happened had I not stayed there? Uh, and I think our testimony rings true of how we engage with people. Uh, in our family, whenever we go to a restaurant here in the U.S., we, you'll, you'll see us, everybody basically requests for water. And at a restaurant, you know, a, a, a waiter or a waitress knows what kind of tipper you're going to be based on the menu items that you select, right? So if you splurge on what you eat, they think, well, this guy's got money. I'm going to get a good tip. Of course, the larger the amount, the larger the percentage. We often choose water. Of course, he doesn't know what my thinking is to why our family chooses water. And so he, he's expecting a small tip. And so we kind of get the type of service that you know, somebody would receive if they were expecting a small tip. And that's usually the case for us. And, and, but the reason why we get water is because there's six of us. And if you add up the amount it costs to get a soft drink for everybody or tea for everyone, I mean, that comes up to a pretty decent tip. So I'm actually, my, my choice in choosing water is so that whenever I tip him, I give my regular tip plus the amount for the soft drinks that we, cho that we chose not to order because that's to him because we want to value that person. 
We want them to know that they are important, so important that even, we get, even though we get crummy service, and we often do get crummy service, we still value their time. And there have been a couple moments where uh, I've actually kind of waited just to see what the server's response is once they see the amount that was left. And you can tell that they're just baffled because they know that they didn't earn that amount. Not with the service they provided. But it's not about what they provide. It's about what has already been provided for them. And isn't that what the role of the church is to be? Is to present what Christ has already done for us and what he's already done for those people that need him, even though they may not understand they need him? And how will we speak of it? Just if we use words. Our actions speak louder than words, don't they? And especially in today's society. So how do we engage with people? And I think there is a missiological strategy that we can look into this story, these 10 verses that talk about Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus and how he engages with them. Of course, we don't see all the details there. And it's very, it's, it's descriptive, so it's not prescriptive. But in this case, what I've done is I've actually drawn 13 principles, 13 concepts uh, from this particular text and kind of in, in addition to other aspects of Christ's ministry and other aspects of, of the uh, apostles' ministries and have come up with these 13 different considerations that I think that are tactically important for us to be able to apply. But first, let's start out with the text itself. So let's read what Luke writes in chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And this is what it says. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. So he's going through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. Now, a quick pause there. So Zacchaeus... He's a Jew, and he's despised by his fellow Jewish people because as, as a tax collector, as a publican, he is, he is the person who has connived with the Romans because the Romans felt like the best person to collect taxes from the Jews was not themselves, but to actually have a Jewish pers person in this case that would interact and know people know, and be able to connect with people so that he could collect taxes from them to then pass it on to the Roman Empire. And so tax collectors like Zacchaeus were despised by fellow countrymen because they were seen as traitors. Because they could not only collect the taxes for the Roman Empire, they could also add something on top for themselves which made them even more so. They were actually very wealthy people. And notice, he's not just any tax collector. Zacchaeus is the head honcho. He is the chief tax collector. And he was rich. Notice the verse there. And he was rich. So he was extremely despised by his countrymen, by his fellow Jewish friends. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, 
for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up at him and saw him and said to him. Now, quick pause. As Jesus is walking through, he, of course, he's, he has a group of people that are walking with him. He's going to a certain destination, and he knows that Zacchaeus is going to be there. He knows that Zacchaeus wants to see him. That's why he looks up into the tree, because he's already expecting Zacchaeus. God, see, God sent his son Jesus, and Jesus is God, but he was in form of man. So he had this earthly body, but he had this divine capability to know about Zacchaeus personally. He knew who he was. He knew how many, how many years he had, how long he'd been serving as a tax collector. He knew everything there needed to be to know about Zacchaeus. So he could have just steered away from the tree where Zacchaeus was, but he did not. He actually walked in that path where Zacchaeus was in the sycamore trace. So he, he looks up at him and says, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your home. Not only does Christ know where Zacchaeus is at in the tree, he already has a plan. He is intentionally inviting himself into this man's life. He is, he is, uh, uh, this, he is the party. He is bringing the party to Zacchaeus' house. And so I must stay at your house he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, <laughs> you've ever been in a situation where the they gets unspoken. You don't ever mention the name of who you're speaking of. They, you just kind of, you know, like glean over. It's like they, you know, them, they, they was the crowd, the people who despised the tax collector. People who hated Zacchaeus. But they, when they saw it, they complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner? I mean, if there is a sinner who is the most awfulest and treacherous, most sinful sinner of all sinners, that's Zacchaeus. Right, And they can't understand why it's that Jesus, this holy man, is engaging with a tax collector. Doesn't he know? Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord. And, and so by the time that they're complaining, and the moment that Zacchaeus stood and said this next phrase, this next sentence to the Lord, I imagine that there's probably a lot that has happened. Because see, Jesus is spending the night with his whole entourage. They're at the house they're engaging they're conversing they're they're having a meal together they're they're having and investing time with one another and jesus is there and he stood and said to the lord look lord i give half of my goods to the poor and if i have taken anything from anyone by false accusation i restore fourfold and jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And of course, this is a well-known story, but uh, 
I think these 13 principles that I would like for you to, to ponder with me are very practical steps that we can take in taking the gospel to meet people where they're at. So I refer to it as Jesus' Zacchaeus approach. There are 13 principles for being missional, to being on mission. And as uh, Pastor Brad mentioned earlier in the service, this is kind of the theme of the church going on right now, which is, and so this is kind of a strategy that we've used in Brazil of how to engage with people. How do we, so what I see in this text is the first item is uh, Jesus intentionally sought out Zacchaeus. He, he could have gone around. He could have gone straight to his destination. He could have just avoided the crowd altogether, but he intentionally went. He went to where there was people. Uh, and you see that in, in the book of Acts, where Paul goes daily to Athens to the synagogues and the marketplace, and he interacts with them, and he reasons with them, and he speaks to them. He goes to Areopagus, and it's a meeting place. It's a judicial meeting gathering place where people are discussing not just superfluous content. I mean, they're talking about hardcore legal aspects and considerations and, and debates and I mean, we're talking about some, I mean, some real scholars, and Paul inserts himself there. Why? Because he has a blind faith that he wants to speak of? No. Because he has a faith that is founded on divine logic. There is reason behind the faith that we have. And so, but we have to go to where people are at and reason with them and engage with them. And so I see that Jesus intentionally went, sought out Zacchaeus. He went to where people went, where people were. The second one is to initiate connections with people. Jesus knew that Zacchaeus was up there. He didn't have to speak to him. He could have just drawn the crowd and, and have engaged with more people. said, I want to bring a sermon to you today. And Zacchaeus could have heard him along with all the other people, but he chose to intentionally connect with Zacchaeus. And uh, we see also in the book of Acts where he says there, uh, Acts 16, 13, where uh, Paul and Silas, they sat and spoke to the women in Philippi because they were, they were gathering to pray. And, and they, they gathered there and that's how the church in Philippi got started, through Lydia, because they interacted. They, they connected with Lydia. And it was intentional. And they initiated that connection because they found that person that would be, be the vein, that, 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 that influencer that would reach out to more people. And we also need to be thinking strategically, but we need to initiate and oftentimes we see ourselves as introverts, right? Some people are introverts, other people are extroverts. And if you're the introvert type person, it doesn't matter. You can still be a friendly person. You can still be hospitable. You can still create connections. You have hobbies. Other people have hobbies. Find out what their hobbies are. Learn about their hobbies. If your neighbor is also an introvert, well, and you're an introvert, how do you connect with them? Well, if you see them gardening, and if you see whatever they're gardening in the back, learn about whatever they're gardening about so you can have something to talk about. And you initiate the connection. You, you initiate based on their interests. And uh, it goes a long way. 
The third item, and I'm going to be booking through these because there's a total of 13 and, and I want to cover them all. This would easily be a, a whole series worth, uh, but I'm going to, have, going to have to really work hard here. So take interest and generally learn about the persons with whom you connect. Verses 2 and 3 refer to that. Uh, we see Epaphras has great zeal for the, for the people, and Paul commends him. We see that in Colossians 4.13. Paul appeals to Philemon, who calls Onesimus, he's my son. He's appealing for, for uh, to take him in because he's, he's, he's that considerate of him. And then number four, engage people knowing that they are made in God's image. We, we hear much of tolerance these days, don't we? But to tolerate, man, I just tolerate. I don't really like you. I don't care. I don't care for you. I don't care the way you think. I, I, really, I really despise you, so I will tolerate you. And we live in a world of tolerance, but we're not called to be tolerant. We're called to love God, to love people the way he loved us. And how did he love us? He gave himself sacrificially, asking nothing in return. Doesn't demand anything other than our hearts and full surrender, actually. But he's, he, he doesn't want us to build buildings for him. He doesn't want this, this glamorous type stuff. What he, meant, what he wants? He wants us personally. He wants to connect with us personally. That's what he asks for. And so uh, we are made in God's image and we need to treat people like they are in God's image. Why is it that Hitler despised the Jews and killed so many people? It's because he didn't see them being worthy. Because he didn't see them being made in God's image. Because if he had, the story would be different. And isn't that the issue that we have today? Isn't that why we have wars going on? Because kings, authorities, presidents see other people as lesser. And we can invade and we will conquer because we're more powerful. They're less competent. We will have them. They will be part of my kingdom. Why? Because we think lesser of them. And isn't that a great issue that we have? Uh, and we see whenever Christ interacts with the, with the prostitute and he's questioned by the spiritual authorities, the religious people, and what is his response? He who is without sin cast the first stone. Cast the first stone. How many stones were cast? Not a single one. Why? Because God knew that that woman, a prostitute, was made in God's image, even if he didn't agree with her sin. But it wasn't about her sin. It was about her and her need to meet the Savior. So something that I find interesting also in this text is that Jesus completely disregards the grumblers. He doesn't even give a whiff of attention to these grumblers. There's no mention of it whatsoever. And so uh, we pray, we build ourselves in holiness and keep in the love of God, we must. We got to keep the main thing, the main thing. Because if we get distracted by this exterior stuff and the grumblers, the people, the downstairs, we will, we will get sidetracked, and that's their intent is to throw us off track. And Proverbs fourteen seven says, "Leave the presence of a fool; he has no word of knowledge." Number eight, it says, "Speak truth, speak truth at the appropriate time." And that's the gospel, people. How can, how can we present hope without speaking of Jesus? 
How can you help people without speaking of Jesus? I've been in many workplaces before where I've, you know, where filling the cooler and I'm beginning to speak of Jesus to the person. And, and I remember this one occasion where the lady looked at me and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm telling you about Jesus. Oh, I, I'm a Christian too, but this is the workplace. We can't talk about Jesus in the workplace. And I said, well, why not? Why can we not speak about Jesus in the world? This is the, exactly the place that we are supposed to speak about Jesus. We're supposed to speak about Jesus wherever we go. It doesn't matter where we are. We speak about Jesus. We speak about the only hope that resides for anyone in this earth is what comes from Jesus. And if we're not speaking of it, what are we doing? I know of a friend who uh, he grew up in his, in his middle school years, in high school years. He was just... He was the captain of the football team. He was popular, but inside he was torn apart because his father was a, a truck driver, a drunkard, and just he just a tremendous amount of hate and loneliness inside of him. And one day in his senior year, after he'd already cried hours on end that particular week because his dad wasn't going to be able to make it to graduation, one of his teachers, an English teacher, witnesses to him. The, the English teacher, her husband, was the janitor at that school who had been praying for this guy from the very first day he met him. And that day, that senior high school student accepts Jesus. And the first thing that he wants to do as soon as he finds out the hope that he has now for eternity and that there's hope in Jesus, he goes exactly to his best friend, somebody that he's known since first grade, and he says, you won't believe it. I've met somebody, and you need to meet him as well. And he shares Jesus to his friend, and his friend's response was, oh, I already know Jesus. And the sense of betrayal that overcame like, you've been my best friend for all these years? And you were going to let me die and go to hell? Why? Why would you want the best for you and the worst for me? But isn't that exactly what we're doing every day whenever we don't speak up and we know that our neighbor is not going to be in the same place we are? How dare we not speak of him? So we must speak with boldness. We must speak out. And we see that Christ is bigger than life. Oh, pardon. Let's go back to, I actually skipped quite a few items there, didn't I? And I'm going to, have, I'm going to leave this article that I have printed in. Maybe you can share it for the rest of the church. Uh, so I'm just going to tap into some of the main items here. I think, uh, let's go back to the number five real quick, because I think this is, is important. So we see that... Um, and my time is basically up, people, so I'm going to have to really crank this through. Be bigger than life because Jesus is bigger than life. Jesus was the God-man. He knew everything about everything. We don't. We don't have that same capability. We're human. Well, we can still be bigger than life. Why? Because Jesus resides in us. We are the holy. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is within us, and he will guide us through circumstances. Whenever we don't know what to say, he will teach us what to say. He is the counselor. He is the almighty God, and he is within us. And if we trust in him, the problem is that we often don't. But if we trust in him, 
We can be bigger than life, but we are not bigger than life because we're trying to promote self. We're bigger than life because God is within, within us, and we're trying to promote him. And he's going to come out. It's his light. It's his salt. And it's his transformation that's going to happen, not ours. And so invite people. In, invite yourself into their lives. Immerse into their world. Now, don't become like them because we're called to be transformed, not not by this world, but by the renewing of our minds. So invite yourself, engage, and participate. Be welcoming. And how can you be welcome? Well, that one little gift that you bring, that one little chocolate candy that you provide to the bus stop lady at the school crossing, and that you remember her name, that cop that always stops you and gives you that speeding ticket, I mean, how do you respond to that person? Officer, I'm glad we met today. I have something to give you. And I'll give it to you after you give me my fine. <laughs> right? Uh, how, I mean, how, how can we engage with people? What are, what are our ideas? And, and I think we need to think creatively of how we can invite ourselves and immerse. The table is so vital to all of this. Number eight, I think I've already spoken to number seven. Speak truth at the appropriate time. It's the gospel. And you speak in due season. And let's go to number nine. Give room for people to reflect and to grow. You see, whenever uh, Philip is sent by the Holy Spirit to meet with the, the eunuch, the, the Ethiopian who's on the road, he's reading the passage of Scripture, and he's just not getting it. He's not understanding. And so Philip meets him, and he's speaking with him. And, and he's, under, he's now understanding what this passage is in Isaiah that he's reading. And Philip is explaining, and it just dongs on him. And, and the Ethiopian looks at him and said, hey, there's a body of water down there. Can we stop now? Why does he make that decision? Because he's been pondering, even in the silence of his heart, even the silence of the carriage he was in, even before Philip arrived, the Holy Spirit was already working in his, in his heart. But Philip, Philip spoke to him with, with clarity. And it changed everything because there was room for that man to understand and to grow. There's room for the Holy Spirit to do his work. That's number 10. Allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. Oftentimes, we think that it's up to us. I remember one time, witnessing one of the, probably the third or fourth person that I witnessed to whenever I was still a kid, I was witnessing him, and I was, he was my best friend. I really wanted him to come to Christ. And I, I mean, I really, because I, I mean, I had Jesus, and I wanted him to meet the best person I'd ever met, and so I really wanted him, and so I explained the, you know, the gospel of salvation to him, and I said, so do you want to accept Christ? I said, well, I could tell that he wasn't, you know, I said, well, maybe you just didn't understand. Let me explain it again. And so I went through and explained the whole thing again to him. And I got to the very end and said, hey, so you ready to accept Christ now? He's like, well, you know, well, then let me explain to it again because you just didn't understand. You just didn't understand. And so I just kept on harping. We got to allow people room to process, but allow especially room for the Holy Spirit to do the work that is only his to do. So we cannot take his place, God's place, the Holy Spirit's place. And then 11, recognize steps and decisions towards Christ. Whenever you recognize them, see, whenever Paul was a persecutor of the church, but then whenever Ananias goes to him because God told him to go there, and Ananias' response was, God, he's going to kill me if I go there. This guy's been known for killing Christians, and I'm one of them. I'm gonna, you're, you're, you're having me sent to, to be killed. So no, 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 I want you to go and take, and you'll, you'll, you'll understand. So Ananias goes, and 
uh, he he brings back his sight. He Paul is now able to see again. His name is changed from Saul to Paul, and he's baptized. And then uh, Ananias recognizes that salvation happened in the heart of this man. And then later on, Barnabas uh, introduces Paul to the other uh, to the apostles, and they're all fearful because they know who this man is. He's come to kill us. What are you doing, Barnabas? Are you crazy? And Barnabas says, "No, no, no, no. You don't understand. This man is truly converted. Can you imagine what this guy, who was so desperately out trying to kill us, what he'll be able to do for the gospel now with the same with the same force, with the same strength, now being pro Jesus as opposed to against him?" Imagine what he can do. And so he gets in, makes the introduction, and now Paul is in the same team with the apostles, and he's going for it. And so why? Why did that happen? Why was it important for them to recognize that Paul? Well, because they, they allowed the, the teamwork began to happen. Why? Because they recognized that there was a decision made. Because what happens whenever we don't give credence? We don't believe. Well, you didn't accept Jesus. You're just, you're just doing it for ulterior motives. It's not, our, it's not our desire to, it's not our purpose to, to judge people's hearts. If they really surrendered, I mean, we've got to trust in the Lord, but then we've got to work with them. We've got, we got to teach them. We've got to bring them along. We've got to recognize and, and work with them towards Christ. Twelfth uh, point, and I'm really trying to, I am, I've gone beyond my time, but I'm, Two more points, and this is wrapping up. Draw attention to salvation. You see in this text, he says, salvation is here. And it was so evident to the people who were once grumbling are now seeing the chief tax collector giving money back because his heart was transformed. And he was willing to make his faith known to those grumblers who wasn't doing it because of them. He was doing it because of Jesus. That it transformed his heart. And the last point. Encourage each new believer to go and share Jesus with others. If there is one thing that I've seen historically in my family, beginning with my grandfather, John Hatcher, and even with my father and my parents, is the importance of every believer. The very first thing that you need to do, of course, be baptized, but then you need to go out and tell, you need to tell people about Jesus. Your first role is go out and tell people about Jesus. And we have a situation in Mark 5 where Jesus, he, he arrives in Gerasenes, and as he's walking out of the boat, there's this man that people just don't, really don't like him a whole lot because he has a legion of demonism in him and he's just a wicked man and he's I mean he's demonic he has a thousand he has a legion of demons and Jesus expels these demons they go into the pigs and these pigs dive off into the ocean and die and now this man he's just a regular human being without the demons and now he's, he's surrendered to Jesus. He's in full surrender to Jesus and says, Jesus, I, I want to go with you. And Jesus' instruction to this man is, I don't want you to come with me. I want you to go back to your home, to Decapolis. And I want you to tell them about who I am. So what does this man do? He goes back to his home, 
and tells the people in Decapolis what Jesus did for him. And they know who this guy is because they've seen him before. They've seen him around. And they see the transformation. So later on in Mark 7, whenever Jesus arrives back in the Decapolis, Scripture says that there's thousands of people there. There, This pagan region, there's no Jewish context. This is just solid pagan. They arrive, they're expecting Jesus to come through. Why? Because one man went home and spoke of Jesus. Young believers in Christ, we're not, to hold, we're not supposed to hold them back. Well, you need to learn the full knowledge of Christ. You need to learn the whole Bible. You need, you, before you can do anything, you've got to memorize you know, the books of the Bible. Before you do anything, you've got to memorize these set of verses. Before you do anything, you've got to understand systematic theology. Before you do anything, and then you just keep on adding, just keep on adding. And they're, you know, they're trying to jump through these hurdles, but the only hurdle that needs to be jumped through has already been jumped through, and Christ did it all. And now the same Holy Spirit that is in within us, it's also within that person. And that person is also charged to make disciples just as we've been charged from the very get-go, from the very beginning. And so how do we proceed? You've heard of Southern hospitality, but I'm not talking about Southern hospitality. I'm talking about Jesus' hospitality. I'm talking about Jesus' table I'm talking about Jesus' friendship. That's what we need to be talking about. So we go out on mission, Christ's mission that we have been called to go. Doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, we can always connect with somebody. We can always be friendly. We can always point people to the hope that we have, and that's only found in Christ. May we pray? Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here with this beloved brethren and uh, I'm so grateful. Thank you for Pastor Brad and uh, the invitation to come here today to speak on this very special Father's Day to say that, yes, we do have a Father, and our Father is in heaven. He is, he is the Father that takes care of all of us. He's the Father that most loved us to the point where he sent his only Son who made us Christ's brothers and sisters, heirs in Christ Jesus. So we're thankful for the sacrifice on the cross, the burial, the death, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, because we have hope for the future. So allow us to do this, that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to say thank you for Judson being here with us. Justin, Judd, Judson. Just don't call me the Beebs. <laughs> the be but I want to take a, a moment right now just to really contemplate on what was spoken about. If you've been following along with what we've been going through on Sunday evening, last Sunday, I challenged the church to repent from not repenting, for being complacent with our lack of evangelistic zeal. The reason we have a missional strategy is because we have a mission. The reason we have a mission is because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the atonement of sin. 
If you don't know anything about that message or you want to find out about that message, I would ask that you would come talk with me. We're going to sing a song. We're going to have a hymn of response. I would love to tell you, Judd will jump in and tell you about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the atonement of sin. Our wrongdoing that has separated us from the holy, loving God. But that loving God loved us and he showed that love and that while we were still sinners, while we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. There's nothing we can add to it on that cross. Jesus cried out, it is finished. We would love to have the opportunity to talk to you about that. And as we go through this hymn of response that we're going to sing in just a moment, maybe you've already come to know Christ. Maybe you already know his love. Well, I'm going to ask you, as you are singing this song, to repent from not repenting. To repent from the complacency in our lives to go about our day and not think about the gospel. If you truly have been reconciled, there's nothing greater that has happened to you. You can celebrate this Father's Day by proclaiming the love of God the Father for you. Would you all rise and sing this hymn of response with us? Thanks for listening to this edition of the Durban Memorial Baptist Church podcast. If you want to find out more about our church, you can check out www.durbanchurch.org. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can give us a call or text to 859-813-0369. Also, you can shoot us an email at brad at Have a wonderful day and God bless.